one doesn't speak directly of the Holy Spirit, but it talks about, um, in the second verse, you take our weakness and you set your treasure in jars of clay, which is um, an allegory for how he sets his treasure, the Holy Spirit, inside jars of clay, which is us. Sweet. 
you set your treasure in jars of clay. So take this heart, Lord, I'll be your vessel, the world to
<clears throat> and this next one is like the bread and butter of the theology of the songs that we picked. So um, it's a new one, unless you listen to the Gettys, but it has really, really great um, words. So um, if you don't know it, just listen to the words. church this morning. If you'd like to read with me uh, the scripture that's in your bulletin, it's from Psalm 146 verses 8 and 10. Let's read together. 
The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord will reign forever. Praise the Lord. If you would like to bow with me and let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come together. We thank you that we can fellowship with one another, that we can sing your praises, and that we can pray to you. And most of all, we're thankful for your word, that we have Pastor Glenn to preach it to us. We pray that our hearts would be open and receptive and obedient to it. And we just pray that you would continue to guide us in your worship of you this morning. We thank you that we've got the freedom to do this and the building to do this in. And for that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's scripture reading is from Acts 1, verses 1 to 11. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of forty days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, while he was going behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Let's bow our heads together. Lord God, as we approach this passage of your word together, I pray that each one of us will, in our own minds, just open ourselves to whatever it is that you are saying to us. This is your word, this is how you speak to us, may we be open to what you are saying. 
give us all that open mind, give us all that inquisitive mind to want to hear what it is you're saying. And help me, Lord, to speak it the way you would have it spoken, the way you intend for it to be spoken. And may we receive what you have for us here this morning from this passage. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, I have this cabin project going out at our land there near Shell Lake. There is a lot of stuff in building that cabin that I could do myself, but some stuff I needed help with, especially when it came to lifting the big beams that make up the main framework of the cabin. I remember a few years ago, some were asking me how I was going to do it. And at first, I, I didn't know for sure how I was going to do it. I had some ideas floating around in my head. But as I thought them through, I realized that none of those ideas that I had were really viable. Uh, and I realized that there was no way that I could do this by myself. I would need someone with more skills than I have, and also I would need some good machinery. So along about that time, a friend who many of you know, who had those skills and machinery, <laughs> told me that he had some time that summer, and he offered me a pretty good deal for his services. And as a result, he came out there for a week that summer with his knowledge and skills and with his machinery, uh, namely a zoom boom, <laughs> we got those big beams lifted up and put into place. And the basic framework was installed. And I tell that story to illustrate the fact that at times we just need some help. The task at hand is just too big for us. We need some more expertise and some tools or equipment that, that we just don't have. And likely there is no place where this is more true than when it comes to doing the work that Jesus Christ has called us to do. And that, of course, being the job of going into all the world and making disciples of all nations. That's the job Jesus gave his disciples, us as Christians, to do. And that's just a huge job. There is no way that anyone or any group of Christians or even all Christians all over the world working together can do that job. We can go to places on our own. We can tell people the story of Jesus. We can explain the gospel to them. We can do that all on our own. But making disciples? That includes them believing the gospel message that we share with them. And it includes them placing their faith in Jesus and accepting him. And that includes them opening themselves to the work of God in their lives and growing in their faith. And, and that's beyond us. That requires supernatural work. That's bigger than what we can do. That's like me lifting the beams of my cabin and putting them into place without a skilled craftsman, and a zoom boom. We just, we just can't do this job on our own. We will have to depend on some help. Well, the great thing 
is that Jesus never intended for us to do this on our own. He knew we would need some supernatural help. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We'll be looking at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, which Shauna just read. Uh, I'm still unsure in my mind if this will be the beginning of a series through the book of Acts. It might be and probably will be, but at this point I'm still unsure. But anyway, for this morning, turn there. Acts 1, verses 1 through 11. You'll notice that Luke, who is the author of this book of Acts, or called the Acts of the Apostles, uh, he starts by addressing this book to a man named Theophilus. That's the same person that you see he addressed his gospel to, if you look back to the first few verses of the Gospel of Luke. So it becomes apparent as you read the first couple of verses of Acts 1, that these writings of Luke are actually a two-volume set, both about the activities and the teachings of Jesus Christ. Volume 1 is the Gospel of Luke. Looking there at verses 1 and 2. And that is about what Jesus began to do and teach. Covering the time from Jesus' birth to the time Jesus was, had, or Jesus ascended into heaven. That's volume 1, the Gospel of Luke. Volume 2 which is this book of Acts, is about what Jesus continued to do and teach after he ascended into heaven. So all that you read about in the book of Acts is about Jesus continuing to do and teach, even though he's not physically in the world anymore. The work he is doing after he ascended into heaven is done through the Holy Spirit who was working through his disciples. So there is, there we have the answer as to who our supernatural helper is that will enable us to do this job of making disciples of all nations. And that job that is impossible for us to do on, his own, on our own. The first 11 verses of chapter 1 give us some good teaching on the importance of depending on the Holy Spirit to do what he calls us to do. And that's where we're going to go with this this morning. We need as Christians to understand the importance of depending on the Holy Spirit in doing the work God calls us to do. And we can come to this understanding by studying the implications that are brought out in, this, in these verses. So first implication I see here is that is, is, is the futility of trying to do God's work without the Holy Spirit. The futility of trying to do God's work without the Holy Spirit. As you continue reading there in Acts 1, verses 3 to 5, you see that Jesus appeared to his disciples, who are now called apostles, after his resurrection, numerous times over a 40-day period. And these appearances of Jesus to his disciples, and what went on with these appearances, were convincing proofs to them that Jesus truly had risen from the dead. And during these appearances... Jesus continued to teach them the things concerning the kingdom of God. One of the things that Jesus commanded them was to stay in Jerusalem until a significant event took place. God the Father had given a promise, and Jesus had told them about this promise. That promise was the coming of the Holy Spirit. 
John the Baptist, he baptized with water. But even that was not, it was just a foreshadow. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized, verse 5, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So, this is a promise from God the Father, foretold by John the Baptist, made known by Jesus himself to his disciples, that the Holy Spirit is coming. So Jesus, during one of his appearances to his disciples after his resurrection, gave them the command to not leave Jerusalem until this baptism with the Holy Spirit had taken place. Now that's quite significant. You remember that Jesus told his disciples after his resurrection to go and make disciples of all nations. All nations. That would mean going out from Jerusalem and going to all nations and making disciples. So they weren't supposed to stay in Jerusalem. They were supposed to go out and make disciples of all nations. They're definitely to go out to all nations, but not quite yet. <laughs> stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And then go out. That's the implication. So the implication is that when that happens, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will have what you need to go and make disciples of all nations. So what is implied here is that the apostles or the disciples did not have on their own what it takes to do the job Jesus gave them to do. They didn't have it. They couldn't do this on their own. It would be futile for them to go and try to do the work God, of God on their own without the Holy Spirit. Wait in Jerusalem until this happens. <coughs> so the lesson for us here then is an important one. And that lesson is, don't try to do the work of God that he's called you to do without the Holy Spirit. That's the lesson. That would be futile. The work of God is much too big for us to do on our own. We need help. We need divine help. We need the Holy Spirit. So, how does that apply to Christians today? Us as Christians. This baptism of the Spirit talked about here happened. <laughs> it's recorded for us in Acts chapter 2. We'll probably get to it in a few weeks. When the Holy Spirit came down upon the group of disciples there in the upper room. That's in Acts chapter 2. This was the beginning of a new order of ministry, of the, of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, where he would come and indwell all Christians. Now, previously to this, the Holy Spirit would come upon different people and different, at different times for a particular purpose and for a particular time. But now, starting with this baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells all Christians, starting at the moment they make the choice to follow Jesus. So all of us as Christians, when you accept Jesus as Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells you. So all of us as Christians have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. We all have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. So how then does this apply to us today? Well, even though we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, many times we as Christians tend to ignore the Holy Spirit as we go about our day-to-day -day lives, and even as we go about the work that God has called us to do. 
even though the Holy Spirit indwells us, we are guilty many times of not allowing the Holy Spirit control in our lives. And we live our lives by our own thinking, by our own desires, by our own personal agendas. And many times even in the work we're doing for God, be it a ministry in the church or a Bible study we're leading or in sharing the gospel with others or whatever contacts you have in the community or whatever, we, we have good intentions and we want to do God's work, but we forget to allow the Holy Spirit to lead that. And to depend on him for what we need to accomplish the task. Instead, we depend on our own ingenuity, on our own creativity, on our own personal agendas. And thus, we fail in long-term effectiveness. Because we're trying to do it on our own. For example, if we as a church want to reach more people with the gospel, that's a good thing. That's what God has asked us to do. But we're concerned that no one seems to be responding. So we start thinking of ways to get people into the church. Maybe if we had some guitars in the music team, more people would come. Maybe if we put some new flooring in the church here. And we will. We will get to that eventually. <laughs> And spruce up the interior of the church a bit. Maybe we could attract more. Maybe if we got a preacher who was more entertaining and more humorous when he preached. Maybe we could get more people coming. Maybe if we opened a video rental shop in the church basement. Don't laugh. I heard of a church actually doing that in Saskatoon. It was on the news the other day. They were opening up a video rental thing in their basement in an effort to connect with more people. <laughs> and we could go on and on. And I'm not saying that some of those things aren't good things. They probably are. My point is, if that's what we're dependent on, those external, gimmicky, superficial things, it will be futile. No, we need to depend on the Holy Spirit, on His direction and His guidance. So, we need to be first people of prayer. Who through prayer seek God's guidance with a spirit of openness to the leading of the Holy Spirit in us. We need to be in tune with God's word. And we need to be in tune with what God wants us to do. And then as we follow that leading, we need to pray over it. And we will be, that we will be totally guided and empowered by him as we go about doing what God has called us to do. Don't try to do God's work on your own. Wait for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Trying to do it on our own will end up being an exercise in futility. That's the first implication. Second implication here is about the power the Holy Spirit brings. That's what goes in your blanks if you're taking notes. <laughs> the power the Holy Spirit brings. Go on, verse 6 through 8. We see why it was important for the disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit to come and why it's important for us to wait for the Holy Spirit's guidance. Verses 6 and 7. The disciples, they're still in their minds. They're going back to the whole time that they were with Jesus in the three and a half-ish years that Jesus was on earth. And, and so they're still kind of back there and they're asking Jesus, is it at this time 
When the Holy Spirit comes, is it at that time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's still what it's all about in the disciples' minds. Jesus is the Messiah. According to Old Testament prophecies, Messiah will come and free Israel from all their enemies and set up his throne in Jerusalem and rule from the throne of David for all eternity and uh, he'll bring this era of utopia to the earth. That's where their mind is. They've accepted that Jesus is the Messiah. They, as Jesus' disciples, in their thinking then, will enjoy positions of power and authority in Jesus' kingdom. That's what they were still expecting to happen. Here Jesus is talking about wait for the Holy Spirit. And they're asking, is this going to be the time when the Holy Spirit comes? Is that going to be the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's the question they bring up to Jesus. So Jesus answered then in verse 7, is that these times and dates are something that God the Father has set by his own authority and those times and dates are not for you or us to know. Not for us to know them. Jesus has given them a job to do and when those times and dates are, it's totally irrelevant to the job Jesus gave them to do. Well, not totally irrelevant, but the focus needs to be on the job and not on the times and dates. They're to focus on the task at hand. Verse 8, Jesus tells them again what the task is. Let's read verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. When the Holy Spirit comes, they would receive power. That is why they were to stay there in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came. They wouldn't have power to do the job until the Holy Spirit came. But when he came, they would receive power, and then they were to be witnesses for Jesus in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth. It's the same thing we read in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, which is what is called the Great Commission, the job Jesus gave his disciples. All authority is given unto me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's Matthew 28. Same thing as what it's saying here. So here we see the reason for Jesus telling them to wait in Jerusalem until the coming of the Holy Spirit came. When the Holy Spirit come, comes, he would give them power, the power they needed, to do the job Jesus gave them to do. They wouldn't have the necessary power to do that job if they tried to carry it out before the Holy Spirit came. So, applying that to us today, what is this power that the Holy Spirit gives us that enables us to do the job He wants us to do? Like I said before, there are things we can do on our own without the Holy Spirit. There are things we can do on our own. We can tell our friends and neighbors about Jesus and about His death and resurrection for our sins. We can build a church. We can hire a pastor. We can do a church program. We can get on a plane and fly to Honduras, for example, as some of us have, more than once, some of you, and build houses for the poor and needy and tell people about Jesus. We can do that. That's all stuff we can do on our own. So what is this power of the Holy Spirit that we need? What does verse 8 say? 
You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. So this power the Holy Spirit gives is tied to being witnesses for Jesus. Being a witness for Jesus includes, most obviously, of course, telling people about him, his birth, his perfect life, his death for our sins, his resurrection from the grave, salvation he offers. Obviously, it includes telling people that story. It also includes showing in our lives how Jesus transforms lives. And collectively, as a church, showing to our community how Jesus' followers love each other and love others and live good and godly lives. That's what the Holy Spirit gives us power to do. Not only to tell people the message of the gospel, but to do it in a way that brings conviction on those who are listening. That's something we can't do on our own. We can tell them. But tell it in a way that brings conviction on them? That's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit's job is to bring conviction on people. So that's why we need the Holy Spirit and His power. He gives that power so as we tell it, there is a conviction that comes with it. To live lives that are attractive examples of godliness to those watching, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. We can't do that on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses for Jesus that he is commanding us to be. That's the job Jesus gave us, but we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. And as we yield control of our lives and our actions and our words to the Holy Spirit's control, he works through us, and we together with the Holy Spirit can be the witnesses for Jesus that he wants us to be. So that's the power the Holy Spirit brings. And then thirdly, the motivation we have to do what Jesus asks us to do. The motivation we have to do what Jesus asks us to do. As you read on verses 9 through 11. After Jesus spoke these words to the disciples, he was lifted up and ascended into heaven. This happened while they were all watching. He just lifted up off the ground and kept on going until the cloud received him out of their sight. That would have been quite a sight, eh? Can you imagine being there and watching Jesus just levitate? This cloud that received them out of their sight, did a little reading on that, and uh, it's hard to be for certain, but it could very well be that this cloud of glory that is that cloud of glory that in the scriptures often accompanies the presence of God. In the Old Testament, for example, you see Jesus coming down on Mount Sinai when he gave the law. He came down with the cloud of his glory covering that whole mountain. It says, as God led the Israelites in the wilderness for that 40-year period, he led them, it says, with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In the Old Testament tabernacle, there was this cloud of God's glory that was there over the ark and the mercy seat. In the New Testament, when, when God appeared on the mountain to Jesus and Peter and James and John, 
Mount of Transfiguration, we call it. There was accompanied with that this cloud of glory overshadowing them all. Read that in the book of Matthew. When Jesus returns to this earth, which we're all waiting for, it says he will come in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. That's Matthew 24 and verse 30. So this cloud that received Jesus here may well be this cloud of God's glory that received Jesus and he was in heaven then with his father. And that marked the end of Jesus' ministry in, here on earth in physical form. From this point on, he would do his work on earth through the Holy Spirit who was working through his disciples. At any rate, Jesus ascended up out of earth, up off the earth and into heaven. And the disciples were looking on as this happened. And he disappeared into this cloud. And that was the last they saw him. They kept on looking, it says. Looking intently into the sky. Maybe they're hoping to see him coming out of the cloud. <laughs> or maybe the cloud just disappeared and Jesus with it. But they were looking up intently. But he was gone. But suddenly, two men in white clothing were standing there right beside them. Right beside the disciples. They're obviously angels. Look at what they said. Verse 11. They said, men of Galilee... Why do you stand looking up into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way you have watched him go into heaven. So there's some pertinent information here. First, that Jesus, whom they just see leave, he would come back. Jesus is coming back. And second, he would return in the same way that they just saw him leave. He bodily went up and disappeared into this cloud. When he comes back, he will come back bodily, appearing from the cloud. That would be consistent with what Jesus said back in Matthew 24 and verse 30, which I referred to earlier. So, what do we make of all this? What is the meaning of this as it relates to us doing the job that God has given us and de being dependent on the Holy Spirit to do it? This here is our motivation. We are to carry on doing what God has called us to do until Jesus returns. He told the disciples earlier, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs or the times or the dates. It's not for you to know. But at some point it will happen when Jesus will return. And that fact that he will return should motivate us to keep on doing the job he's called us to do. We don't know when Jesus will return. That's not for us to know. That is something God the Father has set by his own authority, and it's not for us to know. But for the very reason that we don't know the time or the dates, for that very reason, that means it could be at any time. It could be at any time. It could be before this worship service is over. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> we're all just, we're gone. To be with Jesus for eternity. Wouldn't that be great? Or it, it could be some time yet. We just don't know. What we should see though. Is that this. Is the fact that we don't know. Should be a huge motivation for us. To do the job. Because he could return today. 
or tomorrow. It could happen. Jesus told several parables during his earthly ministry that the, told the parables about this very thing. We don't know the time he will return. But when he does, he wants his disciples to be found faithful doing the job he gave us to do in total dependence on the Holy Spirit. And there's lots of parables as you read through the Gospels about Jesus teaching them this very thing. Using different stories to do that. The fact of Jesus bodily returned to this earth at a time unknown is our motivation to keep on doing what he has called us to do. So when you think of Jesus coming back and the certainty of it and the fact it could happen at any time, our next thought should be, I had better keep on faithfully doing the job God has called me to do so that when he returns, I will be found faithful. So therefore we see coming out of this passage the implications that give us the understanding of the importance of depending on the Holy Spirit. Number one, the futility of trying to do God's work without the Holy Spirit. Number two, the power the Holy Spirit brings. Number three, the motivation we have to do what Jesus asked us to do. As we wrap our minds around all of this, a couple of questions need to be asked. I encourage us all to ask these questions in our own hearts. First, how am I doing personally in doing what God has called me to do? And doing it in dependence on the Holy Spirit. How am I doing in that? Second question for all of us collectively, how are we as a church doing in this? Are we faithfully doing what God has called us to do? And are we doing it in total dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit? Let's take our time of silence and just use this time to open your hearts to God and to the Holy Spirit and listen to what he's saying to you in this moment of silence along these lines. What is God saying to me personally from this passage this morning? I'll give you a few moments. Amen. Worship team, please. Let's stand and sing together again.
Oh uh-huh. 
Thank you for your singing.